You are listening to Talking I.O., a podcast about technology in the real world, where we discuss enterprise technology, how to sell it, and how it best helps your customers. Your hosts are Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon, and we work for Dell EMC. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Talking I.O. Appreciate you joining and listening to us today. We will be discussing Dell EMC's Extreme I.O. technology. Uh, Today, uh, this is Stuart Harmon, one of your hosts. As always, Christian Cloud is on the line. Uh, And our special guest is Matt Braddock. Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I am a uh, partner SE in the uh, Dell EMC uh, group here and and channel group and supporting a handful of channel partners. Um, I've come from the legacy EMC uh, side of the house uh, with uh, 18 years. So you know, have some experience with the, the legacy EMC product set. And uh, some. certainly look, look forward to working with partners on that. And we've been, you know, quite a bit of success. So Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, for, for those of you that haven't listened to the show before, Right. This is a technology podcast. It's around data center enterprise technologies. Uh, we've got a bent on it where it's focused on channel partners. Uh, Christian, Matt, and I all work in the channel community. So uh, not only what does it matter for our customers, and hopefully customers are, are listening as well, right, uh, and how do we help them make some technology decisions and get further in depth than you can on a, a normal conversation around what those technologies are, but then a little bit of what's our go-to-market, how are we looking at selling it, how are we engaging uh, give our channel partners a little bit more information so that they can go go engage their customers and with the Dell EMC teams as well. Uh, at some point, we'll run out of stuff and we'll go talk about some other vendors, I'm sure, as, uh, also. <laughs> All right, well, as usual, I think we're going to kick off with just a little bit of news here. Uh, just, you know, it's not like there's nothing that's been fascinating. And uh, I refuse to speak about Bitcoin because I didn't mine or buy Bitcoin, so I'm, I'm angry. Uh <laughs> at missing the wild uh, it ride was down today it was down today yeah but i'd still have a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> matt how many bitcoins did you uh have the foresight to buy well none i've just had the good fortune of reading about those with good and then most recently those with maybe a little bad fortune seems to be a pretty volatile type of investment it is. You know, it was, everybody seems to be forgetting in this process that a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to remember the what happened, but it was the main Bitcoin exchange, right? Got stolen of $80 million or $150 million. It's it's not been proven to be uh, a bulletproof investment. But funny. if I would have spent $1,000 five years ago, I'd be a happy man. It's funny that you brought that up, Stuart. Guess what happened yesterday? What was it, $74 million or $7.4 million? Nice, uh, nice, uh, nice hash, um, which is an exchange marketplace, lost $60 million. So, yeah, got hacked and $60 million disappeared yesterday. Man, you don't have to get your hands nearly as dirty robbing a bank these days. <laughs> no, it's crazy. A lot less violent. <laughs> Well, in other news, it looks like, uh, you know, it's always autonomous cars. I don't know if it's just the news that I read or if I just only see that as a personal thing. Uh, looks like, this is like Huawei. I don't know how to pronounce it. Didi Zwing? I don't know. They're going to take over. It looks like they might be fighting Uber for their, they're in China. They kept them out of the Chinese market and they're moving into to Mexico. Um, 
be interesting to see Uber have a real head-on competitor in the global markets and how that kind of changes some of their corporate stuff. I haven't actually heard lately on, on Uber if they uh, – I think there's been so many other scandals going on that, that the Uber components kind of dropped out. They're kind of interesting because to me they're almost like the uh, Amazon of the uh, transportation or logistics space. Um, and I say that meaning is they just have their hands in so much. Like Lyft, from what I can tell, again, I, I know very little about either company, but uh, it seems like they're pretty much just focusing on, uh, on providing a good and legitimate rideshare service that's good for both the drivers and the, uh, and the, and the uh, rider experience, right? That's their stick. But then you look at Uber, you have Uber Eats, and then I had read somewhere there that, you know, they're looking at something with, like, Uber flights. I mean, there's just, like, it just seems like there's just so many meaning, uh, moving pieces with that company. I'm kind of curious what they'll, what, they'll, what they'll look like in a few years. Are they the ones trying to do the autonomous helicopter cab? I, yeah, I think I was, that's why, yeah, so I was being a little vague there, because I, I remember reading something about them in, in, in uh, aviation. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> you never know what they'll come up with next. No. That's what I want is my my cab company to be my new autonomous robot pilot. Speaking of robots, uh, San Francisco is delivering the number of robot pilots that you can have. So I guess why use a, a drone when you have to fight the FAA when you could just drive robots around the city and deliver all your stuff? Which I think is I so want a robot to deliver something for me. So I'm going to comment on this, but I'm actually going to bet, rewind the flip coin um, just slightly. Uh, just doing some research on, uh, you know, for the news uh, for this podcast. And the rate at which things have accelerated just this year, like, I, I mean, just this year, it's been phenomenal. I mean, oh, yeah. if you think about it, Monopoly money is now worth – yesterday was worth 17 grand a share, essentially to some it's Monopoly money. And now you can have your packages delivered by drones and robots. I mean that's <laughs> – who would have thought that even five years ago? It's pretty incredible. I, I, I don't even know 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was watching – uh, a presentation was just talking about how in, in his data, you know, is, is, you know, Moore's law and exponential growth, um, what we'll be able to do in the next seven years, even where maybe we have the software, we just can't process it fast enough will be unimaginable. Well, it, I mean, it's just insane. And, and not only is it just like you have a couple of disruptors, for example, say Uber and Lyft, right? Uber and Lyft are the two big ones. And um, Uber and Lyft is a distant second to Uber in terms of like, share and whatnot but there's so many even in that ride share space um there's so many uh, competitors out there and smaller competitors some are local like in austin there's ride austin there's uh, one that's specific to um uh for the safety of women users i believe it was called chariot that's designed uh and, and that's their that, that's more of their market uh, go to market strategy is um uh, it's targeting um targeting a woman a woman woman-based audience and um it's just i don't know it's pretty incredible just the rate at which even competitors are, are coming up with similar technology uh, and the cryptocurrency i mean there's bitcoin litecoin ethereum those are the big three doing some research the other day and there's like 10 other ones um again 
not at the value of it, but it's just I don't know. It's pretty. It's pretty impressive. Like pretty impressive the times we live in. Absolutely, uh, I thought it was interesting. As fast as things are moving, um, a one-year-old. I was just reading an article on some AI researchers, and they said their one-year-old needed to see two pictures of a cat repeated a couple of times over a few weeks. They can tell every cat on the planet. You have to show a computer every picture of every cat ever for it to know what a cat looks like. So, uh, I mean, imagine that gap that we have right now and what we're able to do with AI uh, today. I mean, Lyft is just starting a, an autonomous ride share in Boston. Um, you know, and, and when we can catch up with what even a one-year-old can do. I think it's phenomenal. I read an article on one of uh, on a flight was going somewhere. I think it was going to Chicago or something. In a picture of a magazine, and it was about Lyft. And one of the things that uh, you know, just kind of what you're saying, what was interesting about Lyft was um, it, it reminded me almost of like the AMD Intel battle of several years ago. Just um, and I use it back in Houston, but. Um, uh, there's one that obviously has a lot more market share than the other, and what's the and what's the uh, distant second one going to do to gain market share? And it looked as if Lyft was looking instead of doing a lot of R&D on them by themselves was to uh, I think it was GM um, using uh, the technologies uh, and resources of other companies to help develop their uh, their automated cars, which I think is wise, um, and uh, could potentially make them stronger in the long run, but. Uh, here's kind of a side note, though. As fast as things are going, why does my weed keep stinking? Like, <laughs> shouldn't that technology have advanced itself? <laughs> I, mean, uh, it's I love Bluetooth, but it's been a pain forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's my phone picks up every Bluetooth device in the house. So I'm trying to talk to someone. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, it. Uh, they haven't really made leaps and bounds on that, have they? And then the final news segment, uh, as always, China is evil. Uh, they are now going beyond just following your Facebook tweets. They're actually jailing people for private text messages that they are reading and then putting people in jail for sending. So uh, their surveillance state has taken a, a leaps and bounds into a new arena of uh, evil. Regarding what type of messages? Uh, it was some infl- It was somebody sent a private text message that was... Uh, I think he got five days in jail, so it clearly wasn't too horrible against the state, but it was considered um, inflammatory and threatening to the state or something. And uh, anti-government. But they didn't like nobody else showed him the phone. Like they picked it up off of his cell network, read his messages without his, you know, reading the population's messages without their knowledge. But it's gone way beyond. Right, it's, that's way more than a Facebook group chat or a published tweet or something. Right, that's uh. When you start invading people's private communications, that's a, a whole new level, in my opinion. Anyways, I always got to take my digs at China when I can get a shot at it. Uh, all right, anything else uh, noteworthy to catch up on? Any? Oh, there is something. So, from my side, I got some cool new audio gear, so hopefully my, my Skype miseries are over and behind me. Uh, and I can actually use dedicated hardware to do this this gig. Uh, and Christian, you've got uh, a really cool place you're going. Yeah, yeah. Usually when we mention travel, we're going somewhere for work. Um, I'm actually going to uh, um, Gallup, Washington for vacation. Huh. <laughs> Just joking. I'm going to Nicaragua. 
What's what city? Um, I'm actually going to go to Granada. Oh, we're flying into Managua. We'll be in Granada, um, uh, Ometepe, and uh, can in one other place. Uh, Managua will be the we'll spend the least amount of time there. So, uh, most of it will be a kind of more rural um, location. So I'm actually excited about that, and it'll, it's definitely it's an immersion based trip. So working on my Spanish and getting to know the people of the uh, in the culture of the place. So I'm pretty excited. That sounds wonderful. I am jealous. Plus, you get a week of vacation before you get another you week of vacation. <laughs> oh, I know, right. We need to do talk and I on the road. How about that? Excellent. Dial in. Uh, cool. Well, let's get into the meat of the conversation. Um, all right. So today we're talking about Extreme IO. Again, Matt Braddock came and joined us. Long term, long time EMC sales engineer. Uh, Extreme IO is just a really cool new technology. I don't, Matt, how new is Extreme IO? Well, we bought the company probably four or five years ago. Actually, we bought it when it was in. Uh, development. So uh, there was no product when we actually purchased the company. But uh, and at that time, Flash was, you know, kind of up and coming. Um, there weren't really any products out at the time. And uh, we purchased the company and then spent another a couple of engineers, a uh, couple of years engineering to, uh, to come out with the product. So uh, um, it's, you know, it's in its second revision. Actually, we just came out with the X2 uh, which is the, the second, let's call it, uh, uh, kind of coming in, in, in phase of Extreme IO with respect to the new hardware, uh, you know, kind of up the game in terms of, you know, capacity and performance, as well as, you know, some other features, um, hardware, both hardware and software features in the, in the latest product. So, you know, it, it's probably been four years since it's been out. It's okay. been very successful. So it's, it's been great. Great. Uh, how many E's are in Extreme I.O.? I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you drop the beginning E and you drop the E. And the spell checker doesn't like either one of those. So uh, we often see it spelled with too many E's, but it just has the uh, one E in the middle. So, so just, and, and just, I had problems searching for it also. So it's X T R E M I O all mushed together. Exactly. Awesome. And just to be different, it's it's capital I O at the end. And, and when you see it most of the time, it's kind of one of those things, whether it's scale I O, extreme I O, and maybe there'll be more products rolling out like that in the future. But uh, So how many 72? How many 7,200 RPM drives go in an Extreme I.O.? <laughs> the good news is, and one of the reasons why the, the engineering effort was, you know, as long as it was, is it is one of the very few um, all-flash arrays that is built from the ground up specifically for flash. So there was no history or legacy behind it in terms of having to evolve it from a spinning drive, uh, you know, foundation to a all flash so uh, that was one of the reasons EMC purchased it at the time is because most other vendors were, were kind of leveraging kernels and that kind of stuff that were you know already kind of storage and that they had supported spinning drives and extreme IO uh, they had started from scratch assuming that uh, SSDs were the 
only drive. So very different types of you know features and and technologies within it to uh, to you know move that forward and and kind of optimize. So it's worked out very well. Awesome, and you know we are one of the companies, right? That that. Obviously, we have a lot of products that have a legacy of spinning drives that we've migrated into all flash versions. Uh, Extreme IO, I guess, is the only one that we even have that is an all flash, flash only system, right? Exactly. So yeah. So from an architecture standpoint, you know, and, and, and from a you know, you think of the software, right? It's it's different in that it just didn't have that um, that history behind it, and you could really from the ground up. Um, assume that latency was going to be, you know, as close to zero as possible, as opposed to, you know, in a spinning drive, it was, you know, the average of 10 milliseconds was fine, then it went down. Well, five milliseconds is fine when you got 15k drives, and and so there was a lot of things in the code that uh, kind of compensated for that. But when you have flash from the start, you have the ability to really leverage and not not have to accommodate for you know certain uh, you know media types and technology types so it really helped to uh to you know increase the performance and and have the features that it has um, that, that are you know pretty much only provided by uh, all flash technology and really get the economics and the performance out of it that's great um we did say there are some other all flash. They weren't born from the ground up all flash, right? But I can go buy a big bad VMAX that's got all flash in it. Uh, that's a pretty fast system. Where do I look at going with this this extreme I/O versus an all flash array from from a maybe a legacy technology? So you know, at the high end, Dell EMC has what we position as high end storage is VMAX and extreme I/O, and that's pretty much. A function of, uh, you know, capacity and the and the ability to scale up, to scale out. Um, where the VMAX is different, and certainly the you know VMAX uh, was what we used to call symmetric. So VMAX is kind of the the second wave of our high-end storage uh, array. So if you look at the um, symmetrics is what we called it for 20 years. And then we moved into the VMAX realm, uh, which certainly, there was lots of innovations and there's you know, obviously been lots of you know, updates and new technologies and that type of stuff built in. But um, the VMAX differentiates itself from an availability perspective, for one. It has always been known as the premier high availability, mission critical type of uh, uh, storage. And that's really where it, it's kind of the gold standard in in terms of availability. And it has the ability to replicate and at scale. I guess it's more of an at scale type of uh, differentiation in terms of thousands of lines, thousands of devices, hundreds of ports, um, huge massive consolidation. Um, but as, as you know, in, in the recent last two years. We've really moved VMAX into just being all flash, but there's a huge 
pool of customers who have been running on this technology for you know many generations and decades. Um, who, so, uh, and not to take away from our extreme I/O discussion at all, uh, but with VMAX, right? It sounds like it's. I have legacy hardware. I've got old mainframes, big Unix boxes, lots of different stuff coming in from a lot of different sources. I need to keep it. I need to keep my banking transactions up all the time and replicate them synchronously and geographically. And I'm doing very traditional IT across a lot of different areas where Extreme IO is, is a little more. Uh... Oh, right. It's newer. And so it doesn't have that, that legacy behind it, right, in terms of generations of customers. But what it has is the ability to do, again, massive consolidation because of the, the dedupe technology and certainly the, the VMware integration that it has, um, there's lots of, of economics around the compression and dedupe technology in an Extreme I.O. And again, it was designed and architected from the ground up with all flash. And um, so there's a lot of, of big customers who, who have you know, consolidated into the Extreme I.O as well as those that have requirements around uh, performance, um, very, very high-end performance, and probably most importantly, predictable performance. So the Extreme IO uh, is very efficient in terms of that capacity, you know, in managing data reduction and minimizing the capacity, at the same time providing some of the best response times and consistent response times in the industry. Um, so again, it's an X type of array scales out. So uh, you can just continue to add bricks and capacity to it and, uh, and very elegantly and easily grow out as your data center grows and as your workload grows. Great. So I'm a customer. Uh, I'm starting a new workload. Uh, I have a really, I mean, I think when we think of fast, predictable, we think of really high impact databases and some other areas. Uh, another use case is VDI, right? Yes. I mean, in terms of fast and predictable, VDI is kind of a classic. So uh, when Extreme IO was first introduced, it basically, um, its first entree into the market was really all about saving those virtual desktop projects that were failing. Um, so lots of, uh, lots of arrays out there, even just, again, those are relatively small capacity because the, uh, the data reduction efficiencies are like 15 or 20 to one in a lot of instances. And um, uh, the Extreme IO certainly excels very well in that area. So VDI was kind of that first sweet spot. Um, and then, you know, as time went on, databases, as well as just certainly virtual environments, um, of which VDI is typically a big part of. But, you know, we have customers running, you know, huge, you know, hundreds of thousands of VMs on Extreme I.O., again, to get that consistent response and the efficiencies that you get in terms of the uh, deep technology and compression that are built in. So, Matt, this Extreme I.O. scales out and up, unlike uh, – um, it's a, like a hyper-converged type environment. Is that it would just scale out typically? Is that correct? Yeah. So, so scale I/O. Uh, I'm sorry. Extreme I/O starts with what we call X bricks. So a single X brick is a dual controller. Uh, you know, so it's totally redundant unto itself. 
and you can scale out to uh, 16 storage controllers, so 8x bricks. And with the X2 that was just recently introduced, we can now scale up and that an X brick can contain anywhere from 18 to 72 physical SSD drives in it. So in, in that respect, we've, we've really made it much more flexible than it used to be. Um, the X1, there was a few more requirements around how you scaled it, but with the X2, all that is really taken off the table and there's a you know, large amount of flexibility in terms of that capacity uh, that you can put in to scale up, as well as if you need more horsepower, you can scale out. Again, seamless online upgrades, so that scale out, uh, you can just you know, grow as, as the workload requires. So that's the part that I was a little confused on that they have presented. So it's actually, it's not, uh, this this specific um, solution is not placed on x86 servers. This is actually a SAN. Yes. So it is a SAN unto itself as opposed to a hyper-converged. Now, we we provide the Extreme IO technology in our VX block, so in, in the converged infrastructure. Um, and tremendous amount of customers have, have purchased the VX blocks with Extreme IO inside of them. A lot of them they've deployed for things like BDI environments, um, as well as you know database and then large scale, you know that, the virtualization type of uh, consolidation. So one thing that I had read was that um, uh, Stream IO is a great platform for SMP HANA workloads. What would make that true? What about Extreme IO um, makes that true? Yeah, no, it, it does. It, there's an, there was a, or is an offering around Extreme IO and uh, SAP HANA. And mm -hmm. it is all about the, that very predictable response time mm -hmm. and, you know, the ability to scale. So it's, it's, a big, it's a big win, especially in that type of, a, of an environment where, uh, where, where that you know, predictable response is, is critical. Yeah, the, the latencies are, are very low. And as a matter of fact, we've even re further reduced the latencies in the X2 to, uh, you know, less than half a millisecond. And, uh, you know, it used to be everyone talked about sub-millisecond performance. Now we're talking, you know, microseconds, you know, how many hundred microseconds. Um, and, and, and again, you know, we didn't used to think about that with spinning technology so much, uh, but with, SSD, people are realizing the real benefits and value of that really low latency, and, and there's a lot of uh, things that go with that, like reduced CPU consumption. I'm not waiting around for I/O and that type of stuff. So, and a lot of workloads and a lot of databases, uh, you know, customers are really seeing the value of. I, I can do this with a smaller set of servers as well. So, in terms of an ROI or TCO, they even factor that in. Oh, that's yeah, cool. I, um, yeah, it is. Like, what about uh, a customer that uh, you mentioned VDI um, database? I, I, I think Stuart mentioned one of their databases. What about just like a traditional um, business environment? Is that a little overkill, or it's not a good play for it? Like, just you know, not, there's nothing extremely performance-driven or extre um, 
but uh, but the customer is interested in virtualizing their environment and, and maybe have like a hundred virtual machines or something like that. Extreme is not a good fit for that type of customer. No, it, it's a very good fit. It's actually um, you know because of that commonality in the dedupe technology, you can really shrink footprint and and then you know at the same time provide that very consistent response and low latency. But we also have customers who purchased it for the simplicity. So from a from a management perspective, it is just uh, very very easy to manage. Um, it does not take a, a rocket scientist. You know, when people think of high end storage, they think of complex and all the nuances and mm -hmm. details. Extreme IO is is anything but that. It's very very simple to manage. And, uh, and we had customers purchase it for that reason alone. It just simplified their entire operation. And uh, you know, at the same time, gave them all the benefits that you get out of flash technology. And what is it? Uh, I always forget, I should know the stat, it should be ingrained in my head, but right, hardware is only, what, 30% of the total cost of a solution. It all comes down to management, power cooling, uh, operational inefficiencies, maintenance costs, which was the flash. And, and you know, EMC was, was pretty mm -hmm. famous, uh, and I've, may or not have may not have sold against EMC once or twice in the past, right? Um, saying, hey, you know, in year four or year six, your maintenance is going to skyrocket. Um, we've done a great job of redoing our maintenance programs for customers that are used to that. Uh, we don't do that anymore. We now have very predictable year five, six, seven maintenance. Um, but Flash gives a ton of those other benefits beyond just uh, the ability to perform quickly. Right, yes. So you mentioned the maintenance program, which has always been, you know, kind of a sore spot with customers. And, and every three or four years, the technology in terms of disks changed enough, whether it was the speed or the density, which would decrease the footprint and therefore power and cooling. And, you know, larger customers certainly would, you know, can, can quantify what that means in terms of power and cooling. Um, so, you know, every, you know, several years, we would see those those customers. Um, there was real TCO and ROI in terms of you know upgrading their environment. Absolutely. With, with technology, we we suggest that customers and, and certainly partners run TCOs that are out to you know five years or seven years. Um, this the technology is is very light on that whole power cooling and the density you know is in packaging has been you know, very well optimized. So it really is a game changer uh, for, for customers, um, you know, even if you look at it just from the environmental perspective. And it, it, especially the scale-up, scale-out technologies, I no longer have a big monolithic uh, massive thing that I have to replace all at once or leave five or six of them laying around because I've got something I can't get off. We can continue to do kind of migrations in place or um, continue to scale out the technologies as new systems come online and, and keep the old systems running far longer. Right. Yes, one of the pillars of the data center is scale out. You know, it's where it's flash, scale out, software defined. But the ability to, you know, over, you know, periods of years be able to scale out that architecture seamlessly so that you don't have to do any forklift upgrades. You literally just add Xbricks. Or, or disk drives if you're scaling up. You know, very simple. Um, you know, a lot of customers, uh, you know, within their data center, 
they would plan for six months or longer for you know technology refreshes. And the scale out architecture really takes that off the table. Absolutely, it's it's huge, and, and very often. It- you know, we, we obviously from Dell EMC, we see a lot of competitive pressures from from up and coming disruptors. And we just announced a new storage loyalty program uh, a few weeks ago that we published. Uh, we actually did put it out in a podcast on that. You can find it out on our, our website at Talking.io or any of the podcast um, providers that you can hear us on uh, to go into some more detail. But it did address a lot of those those pain points that our customers had data migrations, uh, maintenance costs and years, you know, the later years of the, the product life. You know, it's funny. That kind of this is a little off subject, but uh, I I was uh, forwarded an email that or not an email, apologize, an article the other day, and it was from a competitive storage vendor, and I'll leave their name out. And uh, they addressed a couple of things that you just said in terms of uh, FUD for against Dell. Um, and one of the things was the cost of maintenance, and it's just kind of interesting because. Even though that's not the case anymore, a lot of our competitors are still using that as a uh, um, as a method to uh, create FUD for the customers. Um, and the, when, the, when the reality is, we are, like you just said, Stuart, a lot more predictive in terms of the cost and maintenance. So uh, definitely for anyone out there that's interested in learning more about that, uh, not only can we have the podcast as a resource, but I'd contact your local Dell rep um, or Dell EMC rep, excuse me. And uh, and have that discussion because it has definitely changed a lot. Or hit up Christian and I; we'll help get you get you straightened out. It has, and you know, we still have customers that are getting maintenance renewals on old, you know, five year old products. So there's still some customers are still seeing that. So the 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 fuds out there. But when you move to these new technologies, uh, especially to the all flash, we we address a lot of those. What else do we need to hit here on? The extreme I.O. So we kind of talked through some use cases. What are some prime examples there? Um, what are the other areas you, you think we need to touch on, Matt? Well, you know, I think that um, one of the things that, it, that extreme I.O. does very well and how we use it to differentiate it from other storage is what we call um, integrated copy data management, ICDM. So we also we have a lot of customers uh, who have, you know, big databases, or, or even you know, even if you have a small database with lots of copies, that is where Extreme.io does very, very well. The copy, the ability to create copies, um, is, is very simple and seamless within the Extreme.io. And, uh, you know, Gardner's created a whole uh, practice around copy data management. So, you know, if you look at a typical Oracle customer, they'll have five or six copies of a database, you know, and if they could, they would have more. Well, the Extreme I.O. gives them that ability to create them basically at will, and we provide AppSync, which is a uh, uh, software copy, uh, you know, feature to that, that integrates with essentially all of our, all of our storage arrays. Um, to help do application-centric copies of data. So that is something where, uh, you know, as, as, as customers are doing more test dev and trying to iterate faster, having more copies, you know, there's just no substitute for that. And at will and, you know, from an application administrator perspective, they can manage their own set of copies. It doesn't have to be through a storage administrator. So 
that's really been a big win and differentiator for Extreme IO as well. So Matt, like you bring up a good point. So um, what about recover point? Is that something that integrates with Extreme IO? So it does integrate through, uh, you know, leveraging um, the Vplex. So the the new X2 will have a native replication. Again, you can see, you know, replication isn't as simple when you have flash technology, you know, depending upon the workload that you're running. So uh, so you've got to have, you know, certain types of, uh, you know, mechanisms in there and, and how you uh, how you replicate. You know, a synchronous replication if you're driving, you know, because you can drive certainly extreme uh, light workloads on a, on a uh, you know, SSD technology. So there is, you know, a lot more uh, replication technology that we're coming out with that is remote, but certainly the local replication, you know, is, is where we do very well um, today. And, and again, we do have the ability to certainly replicate remotely, and, and the native features will come uh, with the X2 here shortly. Great. So right, we have the ability to, to replicate. Uh, again, the, the ability for the copy data is, is huge, right? I mean, you can have, uh, you can get close to real-time analytics, have tons of developers actually working on the system in real time, uh, baking your changes. So as we're getting further into the DevOps world, uh, right, this sounds like a key uh, toolkit or a tool in that tool bag. Oh, it really is, you know, because it only takes, it, it, it's a very, very small increment in capacity to run a copy of data. So, you know, if you had a terabyte database, you could literally have 30 copies of it. And we have customers who actually do this, 30 copies of it in less than one and a half terabytes. So, you know, the, the, the overhead is minimal in terms of uh, having those copies. And the the value in having the copy, whether it's for analytics or whether it's just for backup or whether I'm taking a snapshot every hour for recovery, um, it, it, it's just a very, uh, it, 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 it differentiates itself because the overhead of copies in most storage arrays um, really makes it so that, you know, after a few copies, it's, it's uh, you start paying the price in terms of uh, performance on the production of copy, which is, is just typically what you see in a lot of environments and why you see resistance. But uh, the the Dell EMC solutions around, and we put a lot of energy into it around our high-end storage as well as even the mid-range storage to, uh, to make copies. You know, I, I know that on Extreme IO, there's, there's customers that'll make you know two or three thousand snapshots on a particular line, depending on what they're doing. Um, so literally that's kind of, it, it scales very well. And, uh, and, and again, it is, it is a huge differentiator when you think of what would I do if I could make lots of copies? A lot of customers haven't thought of that because really the ability hasn't existed. And, and so uh, to do those copies, right, you have to go get lots of storage administrators to, to give your, your people access, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean today – that's how you have to do it. If I want to make a lot of copies, nobody trusts that the copies won't crash the system. So I've got to go, go to my storage admin. The workflow process is a nightmare. It takes a long time, even if I had the technology. Uh, so Extreme IO alleviates a lot of that um, 
not just the, the the technical capabilities, but it also gives the then it alleviates a lot of the workflow problems, right? Yeah. So that AppSync software that I mentioned, that is software really for the application administrators. The storage administrator really doesn't have to work with it because the overhead of a copy is nothing. So there's there's no homework and no allocation and no extra capacity and all of that process that you're mentioning. Um, the application administrators really can now manage their own copies, and that's a huge that's a huge benefit, right? They're not predicated by uh, the storage administrator, and they have to go to somebody else. And, and you know, that process has been very historically, but certainly very cumbersome and uh, and contentious. And now, <laughs> yeah. create them at will. Great, great. Um, Christian, what else do you have? Uh, no, that's it. It sounds like it. Uh, you know, so sometimes I try to break things down really simply, um, just for myself to digest. And it sounds like on a high level, um, this is a great tool um, and product for databases in terms of the, the ability for it to scale the copy, the, the data copy uh, scenarios that you just uh, talked about, and also the latency issues or not issues. I probably that sounds terrible. The, <laughs> The way that it that it uh, has a low, extremely low latency, so uh, it sounds like for customers that are looking for any type of um, uh, to be able to have a, a, a device or a tool that's going to assist in accelerating their databases, this is probably the way to go. It certainly is. I mean, it's um, that, that predictability has been, you know, something that has driven sales um, as well. Um, that that, pre that predictable performance and, and latency. And then you add the ability to create copies on top of it, and uh, and it, it really, you know, in, in pretty much any environment. I mean, there's there's not a customer who who doesn't win significantly with Extreme IO. Um, again, we have customers who purchased it for VDI, ended up adding on some databases because certainly it does, you know, a tremendous amount of IO um, in in each brick. And, uh, and they just started really piling on the applications. And with the data efficiencies, you know, they, they realized some huge benefits in, you know, three and four to one, uh, you know, data reduction. And so they buy it with the, you know, a original intent for a particular application. And then over time, it just grew. They really realized the benefits and the, um, you know, the value and, and what they were getting out of the data. And, you know everything from performance to copies and how they were leveraging those copies for the business and that type of stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, once it, once you get a good taste for it and really leverage it, it's um you know everybody really wins. Are are these all enterprise size customers? You know, um, where where should no, you really so start VDI, looking into this? VDI can go anywhere, right? Hundred whatever seats. And... Right, VDI can go anywhere. So there's quite a few customers that are running. Um, you know, smaller. We got a lot of single bricks out there. Uh, the the X1 was a, a 10 terabyte brick, seven and a half usable, and we have customers running you know 50 plus terabytes logical on it. Um, so you know, smaller customers as well as you know are, are leveraging it. So a lot of uh, when you looked at SSD at the time when it came out, say four years ago, certainly it solved a lot of BDI problems. Those customers who had database problems, um, you know, performance problems, it was an easy win. Um, 
And then, you know, when they saw the efficiencies and how much extra capacity they had on it, that's where they just started putting more and more the virtual environments, and they realized the value in, uh, you know, many to one in terms of running their VMware, and again, with the consistent performance. Um, so it really, you know, it builds momentum once you, once you get a brick in. Um, and uh, at the same time, we have some customers, very, you know, huge customers who literally did data center consolidation, and I say at scale, but at scale is six, seven hundred terabytes, you know, um, nearly a petabyte onto an extreme IO cluster, which would be eight bricks. And, um, you know, they, they really just wanted consistent performance. They wanted to quit managing. So from an operational perspective, that management is simple. I don't have to manage performance. I'm not wondering where do I put my index versus my data versus my log files. Um, all of that is, is simplified with the fact that you just put it on the array. Um, you know, there's no more slicing and dicing LUNs and tiers and that type of stuff. So there was a tremendous benefit and value in that for a lot of customers just in terms of the operational efficiencies. So both large and small customers really have found you know, value in, in deploying Extreme I.O. Great. Christian, any oh, last hi. questions? Cool. Uh, uh, Matt, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, Matt, anything else you have to say? You know, again, there's quite a bit of information on the Enablement Center as well as YouTube or the V-Labs if you're, if you're looking at getting that virtual hands-on experience. Um, you know, some great demos and uh, you know, kind of scenario walkthroughs. So, you know, certainly we encourage, you know, partners to talk about this with their uh, customers and, um, you know, start, you know, solving some of those challenges, especially where it really differentiates itself. So. Absolutely. And it's a great way to, you know, <laughs> you know, every customer has that problem database or that, that application that needs better latency. Um, it's a great way to start a new conversation with them that you haven't had in the past. Oh, exactly. That's that's really where it gets kicked off. Wonderful, wonderful. It, again, it's kind of the gift that keeps giving, and that you know, as, as customers realize the value, they they grow out those environments. Uh, you know, in the beginning, the tremendous amount of of our uh, customers were or our sales were repeat customers. They were just the customers just growing out, scaling out their environments. Great. Uh, cool. Well, that's all I have. Uh, Matt, how do uh, our audience wants to get in touch with you? How? What's the best way? Well, you could email at uh, matt.bradach at dell.com. That'd be M-A-T-T, period, B-R-A-D-A-C-H. Um, I occasionally do Twitter at Braddock, B-R-A-D-A-C-H. Um, and certainly, you know, I'm available for, you know, through both Stuart and Christian, so... Absolutely. Let me know how I can help. Absolutely. So you can hear this episode and any others on, we're out right now on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, we'll be out on a few more coming up soon here. You can always stream live at www.talkingio.com or listen to our, any of our previous episodes. Uh, we thank you all for listening. Uh, this is Stuart Harmon. You can reach me at Stuart at work. You can reach me at Christian, uh, you can reach me Christian Cloud at ccloud.io. Great. Matt, thank you again for taking the time. Uh, great conversation. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening and 
Catch you on the next episode. This has been another episode of Talking I.O. with host Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon. We appreciate you listening. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO. 